0: What's something that you thought you'd never do, and then somehow, for some reason, you end up doing it? (laughs) I have a story for you. Tune in. Let's go. to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I'm so excited that you're joining me today. I know I say that every time and I sound like a broken record, but... I really love it when we chat and I really mean that when I say that. I love doing this. I love having these conversations with you and it's important to me. It's an important part of my week. So thank you for coming and continuing the conversation. And you know, I love when we keep the conversation open, open, excuse me. So keep the conversation flowing back and forth. I love when you send me messages, when you comment on the social media posts, because it really gives me an idea of what you are thinking, what you want to talk about. And I like to hear your ideas and your thoughts. So last week I I went on and on about my postpartum musings and just like some of that real ish that happens postpartum when people think it's all rainbows and butterflies and you're bonding with the baby and it's magical. And <laughs> looking back, I think I don't think I really spent enough time emphasizing that. I love this time, I love being a mom for the third time, I love this experience, I just kind of like went on this and like that, and but I really wanted to share the realness of postpartum. Um, with you, which does include a lot of love and snuggling and cute baby noises and bonding, which is all great. So thank you for your feedback. Some of you sent messages um, and just had general commentary and solidarity, and I love that. This week, I wanted to finally talk about my birth experience and what happened with the birth of my third child. And I'm using the topic of pain control during labor because, you know, there's always a teachable moment in every conversation that we have. And I always like to share a little bit of information and education with you in case you don't have it, in case you need it, or you know someone who does. So when you think of your ideal birthing experience, If you're ever planning to have a birthing experience, what do you envision? Do you see yourself or your partner in a hospital or maybe a birthing suite? I know when we did the, um, it wasn't the Birthing While Black podcast, but when I did the podcast based on that Hulu series, which now, of course, because I'm talking to you, I'm blanking on the name, but it's one of the previous podcasts. I think I did it maybe in August August perhaps, maybe July. But the patients, it was an experience of these black women and they were deciding whether to deliver in the hospital and just talking about their experience. And a woman decided to deliver in a birthing suite and it looked like beautiful and magical. And I was like, man, I want to deliver there. Um, But I knew that that would not be the case for me. When you think about your birthing experience, your ideal birthing experience, is music playing? And if so, what genre? What artist? Who are you listening to? I know who I wanted to listen to. Who's in the room with you? Is it your partner? Do you have some family members there? Maybe you have some, your best friend there, your cousin there, maybe your sister, or your aunt. We often have an idea of what we want the experience to be like. You know, which can shape a number of decisions that we make, including who provides our care. If you want to deliver at a certain hospital, for example, you are going to pick a doctor that delivers at that hospital or a practice that delivers at that hospital. Furthermore, will you even have a physician or are you going with a midwife? Once you've established who's providing your care, are you planning to have a doula for additional support? How do you envision that experience? While some of these details might not matter too much to you, there is one that almost everyone considers. What kind of pain management would you like? Is it important to feel every contraction? Do you need that to feel connected to the birthing experience? Is it important for you to feel every part of the labor process? or would you prefer to be as comfortable as possible when you welcome your new baby into the world? As an OBGYN, I make sure that my patients have the birthing experience of their choice to the best of my ability. That includes pain management, and some patients are very clear from the beginning of their pregnancies that they want a certain type of experience. Others? Not so much. Others aren't sure until their last couple of prenatal visits, and the rest aren't really sure until they get to labor and delivery, preparing to deliver their babies. And regardless of their decision timing, my goal is to make sure that they are educated about their options before labor begins. If you've ever, 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 ever had contractions, you know that once contractions start, it is very difficult to focus on or think about anything else. It's very difficult. Knowing your options ahead of time is helpful if it's important to you to choose one over another. You wanna know your options ahead of time so you can just stick with it, you have your advocate with you, and they can kind of help you go along with whatever pain management it is that you desire. So what are the most common options for pain management? Pain management during labor is categorized as either analgesics or anesthetics. Analgesics decrease your level of pain without decreasing your ability to feel or affecting your ability to move your muscles. Anesthetics decrease pain by taking away your ability to feel anything. They remove a lot of the sensation. These medications can be further categorized based on the extent of their effects. So they can work locally, so just affecting a small area of the body. They can work regionally. Affecting a larger area of the body, or they can work systemically, working throughout the entire body. So, let's start just kind of talking about um, some analgesics, okay? So, opioids. Opioids, you've heard a lot about them, especially as we talk about the opioid epidemic in America and people's abuse of opioids, but they can be really helpful, especially in labor during the birthing process. Opioids are systemic analgesics that will decrease the pain that you feel throughout your entire body. However, you will still feel pain. They just decrease the amount of pain that you'll feel. We usually give them intravenously, so through an IV, or as an intramuscular injection. And sometimes we give them both at the same time to make sure that we take away as much of the pain as we can. They can cause you to feel itchy, or they can cause you to feel drowsy. And they can also make you feel a little nauseous. Sometimes they can make you vomit. Just, it depends on how your body responds to these medications. And due to the effects on baby's breathing and heart rate, And the fact that they can make the baby a little drowsy. We usually don't give them within one to four hours of delivery, just depending on the medication type. Nitrous oxide, also known as laughing gas, is another systemic, excuse me, yeah, systemic analgesic. (laughs) Try saying that five times fast, systemic analgesic. Systemic analgesic, it's hard for me to say. It's a colorless and odorless gas that's mixed with oxygen and it's inhaled through a mask. So you can imagine someone on labor and delivery. What you do is you hold the mask yourself so you can decide when you want to use the medication. And although it's best used if you inhale about 30 seconds before a contraction starts. Okay. And other than some dizziness, you might feel when you begin to use it, there really aren't many common side effects with nitrous oxide. What about local anesthesia? That's going to provide pain relief to a very small localized part of the body. It's basically a medication is injected into the tissue around certain nerves, and that decreases the pain felt by the part of the body that those nerves supply. For example, there is a procedure called a pudendal nerve block that can be performed just prior to birth. And local anesthesia is injected into the area around the pudendal nerve, which numbs the pudendal nerve. It can also be performed for chronic pelvic pain diagnosis and treatment, but that's a form of local anesthesia. Regional anesthesia, it's going to be medication supplied to a larger area or region than local anesthesia. It includes epidurals, spinals, and combined spinal epidurals. An epidural nerve block is a type of nerve block that decreases pain and sensation to your lower body. A small, thin plastic tube is placed into your back, allowing medicine to flow into the epidural space. This medicine numbs the surrounding nerves, which basically supply your pelvis and your legs. While you will still feel some sensations, mainly pressure, you're no longer going to feel pain. So very commonly for our patients that have an epidural, we'll tell them, okay, you know, you'll you'll feel me touching. You'll feel that I'm touching. But you will not necessarily feel, you shouldn't feel pain. And so for a pelvic exam, for example, if you're getting your cervix checked after you've gotten your epidural, it won't be as uncomfortable because you will feel that someone is doing something. You'll feel the pressure and the sensation, but it won't feel painful to you in a way that would have maybe felt painful before. Now you will be awake during the procedure and you'll continue to feel sensations in your upper body because these nerves aren't affected by the epidural. The epidural is made to affect the nerves that supply your pelvis and your legs. You will also notice that it is very hard. It can be depending on how much medication you receive and how your body responds. It can be very difficult to move your legs. So on labor and delivery, if a patient is in a delivery bed and they may have difficulty moving their legs. Maybe they'll only be able to move one leg and not the other, and that just depends on how the medication is distributed and how the nerves are affected by the medication. But it can make your legs feel very heavy. If you've ever like sat down somewhere for a long time and one of your legs is falling asleep and then you get up and you then have to walk but you have to stand for a moment because you can't really move or your leg feels heavy, that's the thing with an epidural. So as you can imagine, after you have a delivery or once the baby is born and the epidural medication is stopped, you're no longer receiving it, you have to wait a little bit of time to recover, to get the sensation back, to get your mobility back versus you know, someone who doesn't have an epidural. A spinal block is similar to an epidural, however, just a single injection of medication is given. It's usually done for short procedures. So if you have a scheduled cesarean section, the anesthesiologist, and because this is done by anesthesi- um, anesthesiologists, not your OBGYN. The anesthesiologist may decide, okay, it makes the most sense to give you a spinal instead of placing an epidural catheter because this is just going to be a short procedure, maybe one to two hours. And during that time, at some point, the decision to change your medication could happen. So we'll talk about that in a moment. Because first, I want to talk to you about general anesthesia. So general anesthesia is given through an IV or a mask, and it puts you entirely to sleep. For a lot of the, like during the sitcoms and shows, if you see people getting surgery of any kind, usually you might see them getting general anesthesia, where they're being put completely to sleep. During this type of pain medication and pain management, you're not going to feel or remember anything because you will not be awake. During general anesthesia, a breathing tube is placed to help you breathe. Swinging back around to what I said is your pain pain management options or pain management, what they give you, might change. Sometimes a patient might be given, for example, a spinal nerve block, for a cesarean section. But if there are complications, a decision might be made to instead give them general anesthesia. And so while they are undergoing the procedure, the anesthesiologist instead will give them general anesthesia and stop giving, and you know, the spinal block will wear off. So, if you can imagine if somebody's having a procedure that's very long, or if they're having a procedure that is complicated, that is going to make the procedure longer than one to two hours potentially. Hopefully, not, but those are potential things that could happen on labor and delivery. And these all have side effects. I'm not going to go into the side effects on this particular podcast, but If you're considering any of these, or if you have any of these, you can talk to your OBGYN about the side effects and risks of the procedure. And usually, the anesthesiologist is the one that will consent you, that that will talk to you about the procedure, will talk to you about the risks, benefits, and alternatives, because they can really give you the nitty-gritty and all of their experience. Now, with that said, some people just decide to go unmedicated and to not have any pain management. And unless you're having a cesarean section or you have certain medical conditions, the choice of pain medication or pain management, if you choose to have it at all, it's all a personal preference. Often, you'll have the option to try multiple options as needed. So you may come in and you may say, okay, I wanna start with just an opioid. You know, Give me an injection of this. And maybe you're having a little bit more pain. So you say, okay, maybe I wanna try nitrous oxide and you're having a little bit more pain, and you say, okay, I would like an epidural, and you get an epidural. Many times, a patient may present in labor desiring to have an unmedicated birth and later decide that they want something for pain. Not all the time, but sometimes, you know, because once you have an experience, you may say, hmm, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I want it to be a different way. Or sometimes the opposite is true, which is the perfect way to segue into my birth story. So I am the kind of person who would always get an epidural. (laughs) I completely understand people's desire to have unmedicated births. And I think that is great. You do you. And you know what? I'm going to do me. I don't want to feel a thing. Once I go into labor, I would like to be made comfortable. And as I know that my cervix is dilating, I would very much like to be comfortable to just take my last few minutes to relax, (laughs) my last few minutes, my last few hours to relax before this baby comes, because once the baby comes, I will not be relaxing for a little bit of time. So I knew that. I did not have a birth plan, although I intended to make a birth plan, but I didn't have one. And there were just some general things that I wanted. I knew that I wanted dim lighting. And in my hospital bag, I packed, I packed an oil diffuser because there have been a couple of times I've gone into patients' laboring rooms on labor and delivery, and they've had oil diffusers, and they've had... They've had dimmed lights and they've had some nice, like soft music playing. And I thought, yo, this is exactly the kind of birthing experience that I want. With my first child, I had a C-section, so I wasn't really, I didn't have the option to do all that. But the second child, I just couldn't pull it together in time, but with this third one, I was like, all right, this is exactly what I'm gonna do, this is my plan. So I had all of that packed in my hospital bag. And I had a list on my phone of just some additional things to grab at the last minute. Why I didn't pack them in advance. Some things like makeup, I couldn't pack in advance. Um, And yes, I did have my makeup. But other things I could have. I just, for some reason, I didn't. And I think I pretty much knew that my kids had everything that they needed put together. So I wasn't really concerned about packing for them. I would just grab a couple of quick things for them. And so that was what I planned. And it's, picture it, it's not Sicily, but it is somewhere in Maryland (laughs) on a balmy late summer evening. And it's late, almost midnight, and I, And recording a podcast because I knew that at some point I was going to be having the baby. I was 38 weeks pregnant. I knew at some point soon and I wanted to make sure that I had at least gotten my podcast out, gotten it distributed so we could have our weekly conversation. So I was recording the podcast and I'm sitting here just as I'm sitting here now, kind of feeling some stronger contractions, but it wasn't a big thing for me because I would have a few contractions in a row, kind of on and off, and they would just stop. Like a, Maybe a week before that, I had been awakened from my sleep with some very painful contractions. I had like four in a row, and then they just stopped, and I fell back asleep. I'm recording this podcast, and I start to feel them, and I'm like, you know, whatever. We'll just see how this goes. I need to continue to record the podcast. I finished recording the podcast, and I'm editing And then these contractions become more painful and they come a little closer together. So I just start timing them just the way I would advise a patient to do. So usually I would tell my patients, and remember, I don't give you medical advice. We have conversations and we have information, but you get your advice from your doctor. But so what I typically tell my patients is, okay, if it's your first baby You want to wait till your contractions are about every two to three minutes for two hours, or if you feel like you're leaking water-like fluid, or if you are bleeding, or if you're not feeling your baby move, give us a call, and then we'll have you come in. And if you're having a second, third, or more, I would say, okay, when your contractions are every five minutes for two hours, give us a call and come on in, plus the other things I said about leaking, bleeding, and baby's movement. It's my third baby, and I'm like, all right, well, when they're every five minutes for two hours, that's when I'll get everything together to go to the hospital, and you know, I'll call labor and delivery. I'll call the physician on call. Meanwhile, I have two other kids. I have to let my husband know, but I was just gonna wait. Just gonna sit here and edit and wait. So about an hour goes by, and I'm editing, and I'm still having these pains, and I'm thinking to myself, well, they might stop, or I might be going into labor, but let me at least check it out and see. The hour goes by, and I'm like, "Uh, I think this might be heading towards labor, but I'm not quite ready to admit it. So my husband comes in, pops his head in to my recording studio slash office, and is like, oh, something, something, like you're still awake, because at this point, I think it's after midnight. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to record this podcast, and also I've been contracting for the last hour, on every five minutes or so. He's like, okay, when when were you gonna tell me this? <laughs> when were you gonna tell me this? I was like, no, no, I was about to come in and tell you. Like I I just wanna give it a little more time. And he's like, all right, do I need to call my parents so they can come get the kids? I'm like, no, you know, I'm not ready yet. I'm gonna keep editing this podcast. I am still, yeah, I am still editing the podcast. And finally, I finished. Not only do I finish, I post the podcast. I think I made some posts to advertise the podcast on social media. But at this point, that hour has gone and these contractions are really starting to hurt. I post the podcast on social media, write it up, post it on all the other places that I post it. So on the Facebook page and on Twitter. And I'm like, man, okay. I talked to my husband. I'm like, "Ah, I think you can call your parents now, you know, so we can get the kids ready. I think I need to go into the hospital and be checked. Mind you, I also wasn't super concerned at first because I was only one centimeter dilated and I needed to get to 10. One centimeter dilated for at least one week. Not super concerned, just contracting, thinking in my mind, I'm going to get to the hospital. I'm going to be like, two or three centimeters dilated. The worst thing, and this is not really the worst thing, okay, this is not the worst thing, but in my mind, what I'm like is, I don't want to go to the hospital and be huffing and puffing, contracting all hard, and they check me, and I'm I'm like, one and a half centimeters. This is what I'm thinking, right? Does it really matter? No, I'll just go home. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to get all the way to the hospital, be checked, be one and a half centimeters, and then be sent back home. I don't want to do that. That's a walk of shame for me. Is that really a walk of shame? No, it's not at all. But you know, this is what I'm thinking in my mind. I made my way upstairs. I'm like, okay, let me get my bag together. My husband's getting the kids together. And yeah, these contractions all of a sudden started coming way more painful in like every two to three minutes. And in my mind, I'm like, oh ish, did I do the wrong thing? Did I make a mistake? (laughs) Did I make a mistake? So at this point, I'm like, F my list of things that needed to go in the bag. I'm just throwing things in my hospital bag because I need to pause every two minutes to catch my breath in between these very painful contractions. I am pausing. I am placing a hand on my belly and I am slightly bending over forward, holding my stomach because I'm uncomfortable. My in-laws come to pick up the kids. I am like throwing the kids things because they had throwing throwing some clothes into a bag for the kids. Just struggling to try to even think in between these contractions. And like, I can think in between them, but the contractions are coming so frequently that I am having difficulty maintaining the thoughts because all I can think is, I am in so much F and pain right now. My in-laws take the kids. My husband and I, we get the bags together. We're headed out the front door. I remember standing on my porch as my father-in-law stands in the driveway and looks at me and says, don't have the baby on the porch. <laughs> I'm like, okay, no, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna have the baby on the porch. I'm gonna make it out of the house. So the kids go with my in-laws. And then my husband and I, we get in the car and the hospital is about 30 minutes from my house. 30 minutes from my house on at midnight, at midnight on a weekday. So not midnight on a weekend, but 30 minutes at midnight on a weekday. I am also at this point thinking, what, what was I thinking? Why am I delivering somewhere so far away? Because God forbid, I have to do this during the day at like five o'clock. It's going to take me forever to get to the hospital. Okay? So remember that. We get in the car. it's It's 26 minutes. I remember this. I'm looking at the GPS. I plug it in. Apple CarPlay's going. We're driving. And I am like bearing down in pain really every two to five minutes in the car. My husband's looking at me. He is concerned. I am like going into just a state of, I don't even know what, just trying to be as zen as possible when I have these contractions because they are so painful. I'm just doing deep breaths. I've never done a Lamaze class, but I have coached so many patients through pushing. So I am practicing my breathing and I'm thinking, oh my God, can we just please make it to this hospital? We finally make it to the hospital, this dark night. I'm like, Thank God there were no deer, there was nothing crazy, we made it, we got here safely. And I'm like, man, I do not know where to go. I have never been to labor and delivery in this hospital. If you remember, I told you this is the first time that I am delivering somewhere where I don't know all of the doctors and I don't know the nurses at this hospital. I don't know the medical staff. I had never been here before uh, to labor and delivery, so we have to stop. We have to stop at the emergency department. Husband runs in to ask, okay, where do we go for labor and delivery? Where is labor and delivery? What do we do? And I just get out of the car while he's in there because these contractions are so painful and it is much easier to stand while I'm having them. Not easy, but easier. This also makes me think back to all of the times that we would have patients walk on labor and delivery when we were trying to see if their cervix would change before admitting them in labor and how you would see the patients walking. Most of the time people would opt to walk instead of sitting in their, in their bed because you just it feels better to move around and walk around. So I get out of the car and I'm just standing outside the car having my contractions because they're so painful. It is too painful to sit in the car and have them. My husband comes back out, we both get in the car, we pull, they tell us where to go, we park. I'm standing in the garage, starting to walk in, we get the bags, I have to stop. I am contracting. I hear some voice from across the way, ma'am, would you, guys, would you guys like a wheelchair? No, no thank you, I do not want a wheelchair because I don't want to sit down. It hurts, it hurts and it hurts more when I sit down. I don't want to sit down, I want to stand up, I want to contract and walk to where I'm going. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> that was the first time someone asked me if I wanted a wheelchair. We make it in to the hospital to get to labor and delivery. We asked the security guy. He's like, "Do you want a wheelchair, ma'am?" as I stop and I contract and my husband is doing all the con- all the talking. I'm just in my own space. I am in my own I am in the zone. The contracting, gonna have a baby at some point soon potentially zone. No, I do not want a wheelchair. Thank you. I am going to walk. The second this man, like my husband's getting all these details. The second this man says, go that way in the the elevator, I am not even listening to anything else. I am gone. I am down the hallway making my way to labor and delivery. (laughs) Because in my mind, I'm like, I need to get there so they can draw my blood so I can get my IV and my fluids and I can get my epidural. I need my epidural. That is what I'm focused on. I need my epidural. So the man's like, Oh, your wife, she's gone. (laughs) And my husband looks, he's like, Oh, she is. And off I go. There is this nice older black gentleman just mopping the floors. He's just cleaning the floors in this very long hallway that I need to uh, traverse to get to the elevators that go up to labor and delivery. And my husband's walking with me. Again, I am in the zone. I am in the zone. I hear him. It is like, a voice echoing off in the distance, talking to my husband, because I am not receiving any information that anybody gives to me. Congratulations, my husband says thank you. Do you? Would you like a wheelchair? No, I do not want a wheelchair. I want to walk, okay? All right, and off we go. I'm walking, I get midway down the hallway. My water breaks. <laughs> This man is cleaning this floor, this nice floor, and I am walking and my water breaks right in the hallway. Fortunately, and this isn't a big deal, but it, it breaks and it's just my pants. So it's not, you know, I'm not wearing a dress it's not a problem. I don't leak under the floor. But I thought, oh man, Lord, please don't let me. This man is just cleaning this floor. I can tell he's finished cleaning the floor, it's all nice and shiny and clean. Please don't let me drip amniotic fluid on this floor. I would just feel bad about that. As someone who, you know, like I, I clean things, I would feel bad about that. That's only a minor thing. So we make it to the, uh, the elevator, go up to labor and delivery. I stop at the check-in desk, and I am giving information. I see the nurses. <clears throat> They're all sitting around kind of chatting because it's nighttime. It's in the middle of the night, and they probably are having just a momentary down, uh, downtime. A quiet moment, quieter moment, I should say, because it's a busy hospital. And I'm talking to the woman at the desk, checking in, giving her my information. I can see the nurses kind of looking at one another, because that's what you do. (laughs) And you know, I'm usually on the other side as a physician walking by, seeing someone come in, kind of assessing how how much in labor you think that they are. So I'm having what would typically be like a two-minute conversation for this check in giving the woman my information who um who my doctor is so on and so forth and i'm having to stop and breathe through the pain again and i hear again echoing off in the distance a nurse is like um, do we have, we have a labor room ready? Okay. Cause they have looked at me and they have assessed me and they have heard that this is not my first baby. And they're like that, that lady right there, that lady right there, she's probably going to deliver soon, which is exactly what I would have done. I would have been like, who's, is she my patient? Is she my patient? Okay. Let me talk to her because I need to check her cervix. I give the information and they walk me right into a triage room and within two seconds, the resident physician, so the residents are training physicians, the resident physician is in there getting my history so she can check my cervix. And I don't even know, somehow we made it through the history. I guess I maybe probably rambled everything off in a very medical way, the way I would like to get the history. And she checks my cervix, which was not comfortable as you can imagine, and we're doing it in between contractions because now the contractions are really coming like every two minutes painfully and seriously. Like this baby is knocking like, I'm coming mom, I'm coming soon. Get yourself together because I'm almost here. She checks me do you know how dilated i was do you know because then at this point i am still thinking i hope i can get my epidural soon i imagine i'm probably five centimeters and i can get this iv these fluids and get my epidural i was eight centimeters dilated i needed to get to 10 to deliver and i was one centimeter just the week before i was eight centimeters and my water was broken and when your water breaks that often speeds up the process of delivery. So, if someone, for example, is in labor and maybe they've stalled, they're not con- their contractions aren't continuing to dial their- dilate their cervix, and they get to eight centimeters, we would just break their water, especially if it was their third baby, knowing that they would have a baby soon. So here I am, and in my mind, at that very moment, it became clear to me that I was not going to get an epidural. <laughs> But but you know, bless their hearts. They were like, okay, we're gonna get your IV, we're gonna do this because of your history, we'll give you two IVs, like, you know, we're gonna get everything ready so you can get your epidural. But and I knew when I heard eight centimeters. I was like, I'm there's no way. And in my mind, I think I had a silent moment of prayer with God where I just said, you know, first, God, how am I going to do this? Because it hurt so bad and the thought of having to Not only continue the contractions, but deliver the baby through my vagina onto my perineum and to feel every single part of that, the thought of that, okay? But I was beyond the point of no return. I was beyond it. There was no turning back. And so that became from God, how can I do this to God? Please help me do this, okay? Okay. There was no turning back, and the contractions are just booming, they're booming, one one after one after one. They move me quickly from my triage room to a labor and delivery room, and I don't really know I don't remember what exactly was happening. I think people were moving around me, trying to get the IVs, trying to get everything together, and then I'm just like I feel things, and they're things I have never felt before, because For my second child, I had an epidural. So although I went into labor and I had a vaginal delivery, I had an epidural, I didn't feel all of the things. But because I have delivered so many babies and I have coached so many parents in delivering their babies, I've helped so many moms get through the process, I know what I tell them. And because I know what I tell them and I know what happens, I knew what was happening to me. And I just felt the baby coming and i said the baby is coming <laughs> i think i probably said it just like that may probably more panicked and meanwhile i'm like yelling And I never wanted to be the person yelling on labor and delivery. I just wanted my nice epidural and I did not want a raw experience. I wanted a just very quiet, quiet, nice, polite delivery where I'm just chilling with my, you know, I wanted Beyonce, I had downloaded the Renaissance album, I wanted her playing with my lavender essential oil smelling up the room very nicely and my dim lighting. But instead, here I am in this labor and delivery room with the lights fully on, going through a lot of pain, yelling, and alerting these people to the fact that I feel, I feel this baby moving out of my uterus into my vagina. He is coming. And then... They begin to get the delivery table ready, the residence back in, she's throwing her gloves on to deliver this baby. And then I feel, so they're like, don't push, don't push. Okay, we tell people don't push. I wasn't pushing my baby out, my baby was delivering himself. He was sliding his way out of the birth canal and I I wasn't doing any of it. I was just trying to keep my breath and stay healthy and alert everybody else to what was going on. So they say, don't push. And in my mind I thought, I'm not ever going to tell a patient, don't push. I mean, I guess I will say don't push, but i also be like, I know you can't control it. Just don't actively push. Just, you know, whatever happens, happens. So they tell me don't push, but the baby is delivering himself. He's making his way. And then all of a sudden I feel the burn. And usually what we tell patients, and what I tell my patients is, even if you have an epidural, once the baby gets to your perineum, so once the baby gets to, like the head comes out of the vagina and pops onto the vulva, you are going to feel a burn as the perineum stretches, and the epidural doesn't really take that away. But you can imagine how it feels if you don't even have an epidural. So I feel the burn, and they're like, okay, just you know, push, push, like this many more pushes. And... Then I feel like an instant sense of relief because the baby is no longer there. He is delivered, they are holding the baby, and I deliver the placenta, the baby is crying, the baby is onto my chest for skin to skin. And in my head, I am like, holy F and ish, what the F just happened? <laughs> Except I'm not bleeping it out. I'm bleeping it out for you because this is not an explicit podcast. I don't usually curse. But in my mind, I'm like, what just happened to me? What happened to me? What just happened to me? Did I, what? Did I just come in here and have this baby? I had the baby six minutes after I, I got, uh, they checked my cervix and then six minutes later, I had the baby. So they told me I was eight centimeters and then six minutes later, the baby was delivered. Like, that's how close that happened. And not only that, not only did the baby deliver six minutes after they checked me in triage, the baby delivered three hours after my contractions started. So I almost, like, I almost had I delayed any further with my nonsense, following my own instructions, I would have delivered the baby either at home or on the way to the hospital, or in the parking lot at the hospital. And if you remember from previous po- previous podcasts, I did not want to do this because I was V-backing. I was having a vaginal birth after cesarean, and there is a risk of uterine rupture. And although that risk is less than 1%, if you've only had one previous low transverse cesarean section... So that's a specific type of C-section incision that's made, the location that's made on the uterus. My risk was less than 1%, but I am very cautious and I like to make sure that I'm prepared for anything. So I didn't, I didn't want to deliver at home. It would it not, would not be the safe thing, especially for someone like me with this history of a previous cesarean section. Not making it to the hospital, almost not making it to the hospital, the whole thing. Like I wanted an epidural to be safe. My, my whole birth plan went out the window, but nonetheless... I had this baby and he was healthy. It was uncomplicated. You guys know I talked about perennial lacerations, I think, two podcasts ago. And my history of having a really um, a severe perennial laceration with my last delivery, I didn't have any with this one. It was just amazing. My recovery was amazing because I didn't have a C section and I didn't have a perennial laceration from before. And I didn't, because I didn't have an epidural. I didn't have to go through that whole period of waiting to get the sensation back in my legs to be able to be up and moving around. Something else, if you don't have an epidural and you have an unmedicated delivery and you then have a perennial laceration that needs to be repaired, you have to get, we, we give you local anesthesia so that it is not painful to get repaired, but I didn't have to deal with that. At first I was afraid. And as they told me, I did have a small tear, but it wasn't something that needed to be repaired. I thought in my mind, my vagina and my vulva, my perineum hurts so bad right now. Just the throbbing sensation, as you can imagine, the trauma of something coming out of it. I cannot bear the thought of you injecting any anesthesia into my tissue to repair anything, like the thought of getting a repair without an epidural. But fortunately, I didn't have to have that experience. So all in all, it was amazing, (laughs) it was amazing. I would never do it again, I would never. I, I am who I am, I know who I am, I am epidural all the way. And if that had been my second delivery and it had happened that quickly, so quickly that I couldn't get an epidural, I probably would not have a third child and that is the honest to goodness truth, but it was not. It happened on my last delivery, the delivery I planned to be my last. I don't plan to get pregnant or have any more children. And it was really, you know, it was an amazing experience. I felt like a bad bitch. I am going to say that. word, Like, that's what I felt. I'm like, man, I went in there, I dropped that baby, and I was done. Like, that made me feel very strong and empowered. And I would have felt that way even if I got my epidural. But the fact that I did all of that without an epidural, I felt incredibly empowered and just amazed at myself and my body and what I was able to do, um, but I would not ever do it again. So I get why patients and why people, women and birthing parents decide to have unmedicated deliveries. I understand. Um, it's just not for me. That's it. That's the story. That's what happened. We had a short stay in the hospital. It was great. The baby was healthy. We came home. I've been nursing. You know, We've, we've already had a chat since then. So, I want to know about your birth stories. (laughs) I want to hear more about your experience. Did you go medicated? Did you go unmedicated? What were your thoughts? Did you have a playlist? Did you have a birth plan? Did you have. An oil diffuser, and if you did, what oil scents did you want? Was it tea tree oil, was it eucalyptus, was it mint? Was it lemongrass? Ooh, lemongrass is a good one. It's been real. As always, I enjoy talking to you, and I enjoy your stories, your thoughts. So continue to share with me. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast through Blueberry, but you can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Apple Podcasts. If you like it, leave a review. Ideally, a five and a positive comment, but if you don't like it or you think that there are areas of improvement, I still wanna hear from you. You don't have to leave a review, but you can definitely leave me a comment, send me a message or an email, drhack, D-R-H-A-C-K at ladypartsdoctor, I'm um, Certainly, you can leave a review. I'm just telling you a preference. I like to have five stars. And connect with me on the Twitter, social media on Instagram. My handle's at LadyPartStock. same on Twitter. And uh, Facebook, I have a Facebook page. Connect with me everywhere. I have YouTube. I love your stories. I love everything. Remember, this is not medical advice, but we do give medical information and education, okay? Until next time. Mm-hmm.